Hey, everybody, we are here to tell you about a cool new feature on the website that we would love for you to check out. Head to howtosplitatoaster.com and check out the bottom of the page. You'll find a box floating there that says, quote, ask Seth and Pete, close quote. This box is magical. You just type a question in there and the robots behind the scenes will search the actual audio of our entire library of past episodes and not only give you a short answer to your question, but point you to the specific episodes where we discussed your topic so you can listen yourself. At this point, we're just testing it. To know if this feature should be a permanent feature on the website, we need your help. For that, we need you to ask a lot of questions. So head to howtosplitatoaster.com and click the box, Ask Seth and Pete. The robots will do the rest. On with the show. Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today... It's time to stop waiting for your toaster to apologize. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson. As always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Today on the show, we'd like you to ask yourselves the following question. What are you waiting for? Your former spouse might have made your life miserable. Your divorce might have been contentious. But if you're still waiting around for them to call you and apologize for making your life harder, this week's guest might just have another and a better way forward. Bethany Nicole is an author, astrologer, and relationship expert. Her upcoming book, Apologies I Never Got, is a book of dating and relationship horror stories spun into gold by teaching readers how to write their own apologies for the apologies they never got. Bethany, welcome to the toaster. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Bethany, I think it's funny. We're a divorce podcast, and I don't think we've done a show. Seth, correct me. I don't think we've done a show on actually apologizing. Nope. Wow. I don't think the word has ever come up. (laughs) There's not a lot of that in divorces. (laughs) I think we should apologize to our listeners for that, that it's waited this long. There you go. Feels like a, a part, a variable in the equation that we have missed. And so today we are going to talk about the apology at, by way of kind of a backdoor, which I think is so interesting. But before we start talking about you in the book, let's talk a, a little bit why it is important to become uh, an apologist. That doesn't sound very good. <laughs> But an expert in the art of the apology, Why, what what led you to figuring out that apologies were important? Oh, my gosh. It was such a journey of the soul. But basically, it's kind of similar to a lot of other people's journeys, right? Like, my life just wasn't working. I couldn't get it to work. I had all of these resentments kind of built up from past relationships, my childhood. Basically, I've had a lot of opportunities for apologies that I never got <laughs> in my own life. And I kept kind of hitting the wall on that. And it just really led me to kind of realize I'm never going to get these apologies. Like I've been waiting for them. I've been resentful. I've been thinking like, oh, if I just get them, then that's going to solve all these problems. And I realized, you know, even if these people came around and apologized for every aspect of it, I'm not sure that would really do it. Right. So I started kind of this game with some friends of like writing our own apologies for the ones we never got. And it really just kind of snowballed and started to take off. And I really just kind of started to understand as I got into working with relationships and my professional career, 
people were kind of coming to me with the same problem. They're like, I'm dating the same person over and over. And we would kind of dig into it. And so much of it had to do with these apologies they never got with these resentments that they're bringing. That, that they're resentful. So they date similar typed people because deep in our subconscious, we think maybe this is the person who's going to give me the apology that I'm owed. Right. Or they're trying to heal it. Our subconscious is such a weird place. Right? We do the strangest things. Yeah, it's a weird place. I try not to go there. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. It's a dark, scary place. <laughs> but. Mm -hmm. Because that's, I mean, beyond just like you were, you're talking about your own experience. Like, how does it show up that you are, that, that you're waiting for, for it? Like, what is it that, that, what are the resentments that kind of start bubbling up? How does that show up in your life? And what, all I'm trying to get to is like, if our listeners are sitting there saying, okay, I, what are the patterns that I need to be watching out for? I mean, you really hear it in kind of conversations. You hear the resentment, you hear the anger, you hear the frustration. It's it's somebody who's on a first date and they're just talking about all the ways their ex has screwed them over, right? Or they're talking about their childhood trauma um, to someone they've known a week. You know, it's like they just want to get it out. It's just something that's really building up or they're, you know, doing something like, you know, they're very possessive of their new partner because their ex cheated on them and they just never really got past it. And so it's really just showing up that, again, like your life just isn't working, your relationships aren't working, and you're angry or taking it out on things. And it can show up again in really strange ways because of the subconscious. But I think if you're really, you know, having partners that are reflecting that back to you, like, hey, I didn't cheat on you. I didn't do this. Why are you yelling at me? Or why am I having to pay for someone else's mistakes? I think you can kind of recognize like, oh, maybe I didn't work through some things here. Yeah, it's like a jolt. Uh, out of out of an old reality, right? Yeah. Or again, if you're dating the same type of person, and and that really most of my work, that's pretty much exactly where I start. Is okay. What's going on with you? Because so much of our external relationships depend on what's going on with us internally. And there's so much out there about forgiveness and what it looks like and how to get over divorces and all of these things. So let's talk through that because I talk to my clients all the time and I tell them this. Do you, or I ask them this question, if they're struggling on moving forward with their divorce, I just say, do you want to feel the way you feel now a year or two from now? And the answer is always no. So then you have to do something about it. And I will always tell them when they're struggling with the divorce process, even if they want it and they're doing everything they're supposed to do, but it's just frustratingly slow, agonizing, expensive. I always tell them you're going through a legal divorce. And you're going through an emotional divorce. Absolutely. And what I know for certain, you will not get through your emotional divorce until your legal divorce is over. Yes, absolutely. That's really kind of something I work with my clients too. Like, you know, even like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like the safety and the health, like that is our baseline. And we can work on the relationship aspect of like being friends with your ex or whatever it is on the other side of the legal divorce. And I think that's where people can really get stuck too, is they're like, well, I want to be friends with them and I want it to go so smoothly. And it's like just backburner that, I mean, not that you should be intentionally creating, you know, drama or situations, but let the lawyers do their thing. Let the divorce go through and work on yourself while that's happening. You know, take that time to be going to experts and therapists and working on yourself and then once that legal piece is done, now you're in a place of safety that you can start even more intense healing or maybe even thinking about, well, what do I want this relationship with this ex to look like if we're co-parenting or whatever? But 
I mean, I know it's, especially in the spiritual community, a lot of the clients I work with are like, that's so mean to like, just talk through attorneys. And I'm like, that's not mean. That's a nice legal foot in people's back to do the right thing. That's a beautiful thing. That's practical. Yeah, right. The other thing about that is talking through attorneys is, one, it sets up healthy boundaries for you. Because I'll have lawyers will say, well, let's sit down and have a settlement conference with just the lawyers and the parties. And I say, no. And they're like, well, why not? It's so reasonable. I say, because I don't know the power dynamics between these people. Being in the same room might not be healthy for your client. It might be beneficial for my client. I don't know. So we have a mediator that goes back and forth and that has that separation and protection. But when you're in a divorce, there are formal conversations the parties are having with the court system, with the judge through their lawyers. There's conversations the lawyers have with each other. There's obviously conversations lawyers have with their clients. And then there's conversations that the parties are having with each other. And I assure you, never once has the opposing party said, oh my God, your lawyer is so good. They're totally handling <laughs> you and making this process easier. I mean, it's just great. Like People don't even know me and they talk to their spouse and they say, he's horrible. He's running up fees. He's doing all this, this, and this. And like, I've been on the case for a week and I've only had one consult, you know? So part of that is that control aspect. And so when you only talk through lawyers, it sets up a healthy boundary to protect you. Now, look, the lawyers got to do a job if they're not being responsive to you and making sure you have a good attorney-client relationship is vital in that. Yeah. But absolutely, I'm all for that. Uh, Seth, I want to, I, I want to, we've been talking now for nine minutes and that should have been plenty of time for you to prepare your arguments about why people don't say I'm sorry enough in court. Why is, uh, why are we not talking about apologies? And do you think at some point, like, do you ever call on your clients to just say I'm sorry? I haven't told them to say I'm sorry because if they're not really sorry, if it's not genuine, <laughs> that doesn't help. It's yeah. going to make it worse. It doesn't do anything. Yeah. What I have taught them through the litigation process is to own your mistakes. And what that does is makes you honest open and vulnerable in court, which I think judges find persuasive. I think that it also takes the wind out of opposing counsel's sales when they're trying to attack your credibility. Mr. Wright, have you ever lied? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's just... <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just easier to do that. Um, but I haven't had them say, I'm sorry. I've had a judge order opposing party to apologize to my client Wow! in open court. Wow. It was the most awkward bullshit apology I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that would be especially genuine or helpful. Nope. No, yeah, we walk out of the courtroom and my client was like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. Especially when the judge ruled against us and gave the guy everything he wanted. Well, I mean, so you can't dodge you can't dodge the horseshit about this stuff, right? I mean, you want to make it authentic, but I do think what you one of the things that you're talking about is is maybe tantamount to apology is taking that responsibility, right? When you say you got to own you got to own your shit, you're taking accountability responsibility for your actions. 
you know, how far does that go to being enough to smooth a contentious divorce? I really work with my clients a lot more on kind of because really forgiveness and all of that is more about what's going on with you than it is with them. Right. So I really work with my clients. I mean, I rarely, I can't even off the top of my head, think of a time where I really felt they should reach out to the other person. Cause I really work on it on kind of the internal energetic level, I guess, because of that exact reason, it's rarely enough. It's rarely what they genuinely need to hear. Um, and so it's like writing your own apologies for the ones you never got and learning how to reach those levels of forgiveness without. So what is that like? How does, how do you make, how does that, how does that go? Pete's, you know, he owes me a lot of apologies. (laughs) I actually have a diary. It's just Seth apology letters because he never apologizes to me. They're they're not coming though. He doesn't publish them. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm annoyed with Pete. He's wronged me in my own mind. How do I write my own apology? So I have a three-step process that I take people through and it's, you know, can be more in depth or whatever, but long story short, basically I take them through the three steps of the first one being validation. So you're validating your emotional experience. And this is where people can get, it's hard when you're getting an apology from someone else because having someone apologize to you for the way that you're feeling about something is. That's not an apology. Right. And that's tricky, right? And, I'm so and, sorry you feel like I annoyed you or wronged you. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry you exactly. took that wrong. I'm sorry you were annoyed by me. Like, what do I say to that? You know, but <laughs> our, our internal experience, like we never want to invalidate how we feel about something because how we feel is how we feel. And that's not necessarily on somebody else's shoulders because we have our own internal dialogues and, you know, maybe somebody does something very small to us, but it reminds us of something our father did to us all the time. And so we have this big emotional reaction, but that's not really that person's fault per se. So the validation of the emotions is the internal work where they literally just write out every emotion that it made them feel. And they're taking their own apologies for that. So they're apologizing um, I'm sorry you feel angry. I'm sorry you feel hurt. I'm sorry you feel jilted or whatever it is. And they're validating their own emotional experience without asking the other person to do that. Because again, they may never get it. And we can't really have someone say like, I'm sorry, I made you feel X, Y, or Z. No one can really make us feel anything, right? So I take them through that emotional validation piece. And it's completely unfiltered. Whatever they feel, if it's like, you know, I'm sorry you feel like you really want to punch your partner in the face every time you see them. Like, that's fine. That's cool. Let's just get it out. <laughs> like, let's just move through that process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. It's like in middle school when they're going to go to sex ed and like, okay, we're going to say all the bad words right now. We're just going to get, get it, it out. out. Get it out. Do get it, it out. Get it all out. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Yep. Um, and then there's the acknowledgement piece. And that's another thing that can be really tough to get from somebody else, right? Because you're really just acknowledging, even at base level, this experience was painful for me, or this experience hurt me, my feelings, or this experience wasn't fair. It wasn't fair that I was, um, you know, loyal to my partner and they cheated on me left, right, and sideways. Like, you're just acknowledging, like, that was not cool. That was not fair. That did not feel good. I didn't deserve that. No one deserves that, right? Um, So you're just acknowledging the fact that the experience happened and that it was painful, hurtful, unfair, whatever it was. And you're just kind of allowing that reality to exist that like this happened. I'm acknowledging it happened. It is what it is. There's no changing it. And it sucked (laughs) at base level, right? It can get more nuanced than that. This is just very basic. Got it. And then the part that the third step, which is actually 
really the part that I feel is the most empowering for people is what we call the assurance stage. Because if you're within a partnership, let's say, and somebody you know, yells at you and what do you really want from an apology? Like, yeah, you want the emotional validation, but you really want them to understand why it hurt to the point that they don't do it again. You want the assurance, like this is not going to happen again, but we can't control that from somebody else. We can't control, you know, that you're the person you're divorcing, isn't going to yell at you again. You can't control any of that. But the assurance piece is that you can show up to the experience differently. You can be the difference in what's happening. And so when I look at, you know, people who are dating and, you know, they had a really bad past experience with someone and they're not getting that apology, their assurance looks like, okay, I'm going to assure myself that I'm going to show up to these dates and I'm going to pay attention to these red flags. I'm going to ask these questions. I'm going to say what I want or need out of this relationship. And that we can 100% control. That is absolutely within our control. So even if we end up on the same type of date with the same type of person, how we show up can be the difference. It doesn't mean that it's never going to, you know, we might get divorced again, who knows, right? But you can show up to that divorce experience different. You can show up to that conversation, that courtroom, whatever it is. You're giving yourself different assurances. And these are very concrete steps that I like to have people create for themselves. So if they're like, I know this is coming from some childhood trauma. So your assurances, I assure myself that I'm going to go to therapy and I've got my first appointment set for Monday or whatever it is. It's really concrete. It's really empowered. And it's really forward thinking. I love it. I had a therapist when I was a kid who told me this one thing. I don't remember much about it, but he told me one thing that stuck with me. And I think you're just nailing it, which is your power in life ends with your skin. It ends with what you can touch. So don't bother thinking about these, you know, spending a lot of time perseverating on slights done by others. And I think you're hitting it. Sit down and write out what what feels fulfilling to you, right? I, I guess my further question, though, is, is there room in this process when you're working with people to hold a flag for uh, you know, uh, uh, holding someone else like, to account for like genuine wrongs, like, or or is it just are these are only the things we know we're never going to get an apology for, and for everything else we call Seth. I mean, as far as like reaching out to that person to get an apology, or yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is that a thing? Nope, she said no. It's all internal, right, Bethany? It's, it's mostly internal. Yeah, I mean, if the client is sitting in front of me has really wronged and they feel. There would have to be a lot of internal work done because part of if I would encourage them to reach out, if they really, I felt like did something that they would benefit from apologizing for, it would be a lot of work to create kind of a safe space for them to do that because that's really vulnerable experience to apologize to someone. And if you're really dependent on their response, you can really do a lot more damage, right? Because if you write this really lovely apology and you give it to them and they're like, you know what, go off off. I don't really care. That was stupid. And I hate you. And then they're like crushed and they're like, Oh, is it this thing? Or it's right. But I always tell people, all you can do is apologize. You've done the work. Right. And that's where you work on helping them release. And, 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 and if you've done that and you want to be vulnerable and they're going to tell you to fuck off, you know, that was stupid. Well, you got your answer. You got your answer, and yeah, right. But you, but but you you've come kind of clean on that. So I'm imagining you working with clients about you have these past relationships. 
You never got these apologies. They go through this three-step process. This is all great. I, I truly think this is amazing. Then they're going out on new relationships and they're setting boundaries. How does this work when the person you're writing the apology for, the ones you never got, is your co-parent and they keep doing the same shit? Yeah, that's a tough one. Because again, that's where the assurance, I mean, and and there's also kind of the release of like, you can only do what you can do, right? And letting go. And the assurance is where they can really get tough of like, okay, this co-parent is doing something. I mean, how far off is it? Is it legally something you can do something about? Or is it like... Because that legal process is so easy and inexpensive. Why not just try it? Right, right. <laughs> sure. Everyone, Everyone should, do, should do more law stuff. Yeah. Scale, All the right? cool kids are doing it. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I think it's like, you can only do what you can do. So if you're up against the wall of like, I can't afford to hire this attorney to do it again, then you work on other ways to show up differently. And sometimes there's really just, I mean, parents are going to do what parents are going to do. I think we all have seen that, that, yeah, you might have a co-parent who continues to badmouth you in front of the kids. And all you can do about that, if you've talked to them a thousand times and they don't care and they're just continuing to do it, is work on how you show up to handle it and try to help your kid through it. And maybe even teach them some things that, to say of like, I don't want to talk about that or, you know, or get, you know, have your kid working with a therapist or these are the ways that you can control what you can control because we can't like sort of gagging someone. We can't make them stop saying something to our kid, even though it's causing damage and courts don't really do a lot about that unless it's, you know, threatening or something. But that's again, where the assurance piece comes like, yes, they might continue to do it. You might be bound to this person that's continuing to talk badly about you to your own kids. But like, what can you do? What, how can you show up? And the rest, you, you really just have to let go. All right. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Seth, according to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, about 10% of children live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. It's just tragic. Pete, we hear this statistic all the time. At the end of the day, the courts don't care about the statistic. The courts care about keeping kids safe. And when I mean safe, I mean safe from a party who truly suffers from an alcohol disorder or is being wrongly accused of having alcoholism or some other alcohol disorder. It's easy, and it saves you money. Instead of he said, she said, there's Soberlink. Soberlink is fantastic, and they are a fantastic partner to this show. So what is Soberlink? Soberlink is a device. It's like a breathalyzer, but it is more. You blow into Soberlink whenever you want to prove in real time that you are safe to be with your kids at carpool, at drop-off, at handoff. Whenever you're going to be driving, you blow into Soberlink. It uses facial recognition to prove that you are the one blowing at the time that you are taking the reading. It sends it off to the people who need to know. People involved directly in your case, not to be used for publication, not to be used for social media. This just goes to the people who matter most for your case as you are collecting data. Soberlink Remote Alcohol Monitoring has helped over 500,000 people prove their sobriety and provide peace of mind during parenting time. And Seth, word on the street is courts love it. Yeah. And it's not just when you're getting in a car. Let's be clear. People can say, never gotten a DUI. What's the issue? Well, the issue is once you're home at five o'clock and you're no longer driving, but you're going to start cooking and having a glass of wine and that glass of wine turns into two bottles, that's now an issue. 
So it's not just getting in the car. It's when you, the children are in your care, custody, and control, are you focused on them and not using alcohol? Independent, third-party, real-time verification to support your case. I haven't been drinking. Here's the proof. Those are the words that lawyers and courts love. But here are the words you're going to love. You can save 50 bucks off your device and get started right away at Soberlink.com slash toaster. That's Soberlink.com slash toaster. Thank you to Soberlink for sponsoring this show. How do you think about uh, about the Wonder Twins uh, blame and shame? I imagine these are concepts that come up often, people who are holding on to uh, grief and slight of others, either blaming others, blaming themselves, taking on a lot of shame themselves. How do you coach people through getting past those very difficult emotions? Absolutely. I mean, it's really just one step at a time. It's seeing where those are showing up, because a lot of times how we react to blame and shame, that's been formed a long time ago. Right. Like if we are growing up in a household where every time we do the slightest thing wrong, we're getting absolutely demolished, we might actually be programmed in some ways to take on more blame or shame than we actually need to. Does that make sense? Like 100%. Yeah. We're showing up to an experience that, like, yeah, maybe we had a small role in it, but we're like, it's all my fault. I did it. Throw me under the bus. It's fine. And we don't need to do that. So really just kind of working with them and seeing like, what is their patterning around blame and shame? And then you have the other side where people don't want to take any accountability. They want to play the blame game. And it really just gets them absolutely nowhere. Like really creating victim villain roles. I mean, there's no point in that really. And it's hard in divorce because sometimes it really does seem like somebody is the instigator or somebody is like causing harm to the kids. Like there's a lot of nuances with it of all of that. But creating that dynamic doesn't leave any room for change. It doesn't, if you're just like, this person's the villain and there's nothing I can do about it. What have you accomplished with that? Right. That's done nothing for you. That's put you in a victim role and a powerless role. Headcanon is legit though. Like the stories we tell ourselves, it, that can be yeah. rough. Yeah. And they're never wrong. Never, never. Hundred percent right all the time. Not in a hundred. Well, not about me. Uh, um, oh, okay, let's let's talk about what went into this book. Uh, apologies, I never got. So, what's in the book? How'd you how'd you come up with the uh, with concept? How'd you build it? Let, let's talk about the stories. Yeah. So it really just kind of began again with my own life kind of not working and then sharing the concept with my friends and my friend group at the time. And we just kind of made it like a game and it was sort of a joke. And then, and so I got a ton of material that way of just people telling me all these really offbeat relationship and dating stories and everybody has them. Everyone's got a horror story. Um, so I have like so much material. I've already placed part of it into the sequel because I just got so much of the fun stuff. Um, or the funny stuff. And then I kind of dive into the deeper concepts of the three-step apology method and like, you know, why these are kind of, we're addressing these things with a little bit of lightness and a little bit of humor. Um, but then I get into some of the deeper stuff of the three-step apology method, forgiveness, why forgiveness is an important part of the healing process. How do you get there? What do you do? How do you forgive something that feels very unforgivable? And then I also have um, pieces within it that 
talk about just more healthy relationship dynamics. So like there it's split into chapters of like, let's say like gaslighting. So all the apologies in that category are gaslighting. And then we go into, okay, what is gaslighting? How do you have some boundaries around that? What does it mean? So it really takes kind of readers through a journey of self-healing and then also helping them prepare for their next relationships by learning some of these relationship trends or dynamics that they can take moving forward. The whole point of all of it, in my mind, is really health, healing, and then moving forward because all of this stuff, all of these resentments, the whole point, what do we pursue in life? We want to live a healthy, happy, engaged life, right? So that's really the focus of the book. It's not so much about blame or shame or, you know, openly mocking our exes, even though there might be some little nuggets of that. But at the as end, much as the, that could be catharsis, right? Is. Well, first off, Bethany, I think you're brilliant because basically you were talking with your friends and joking around and you take all that material and make a book. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, just right. awesome. That's smart. And you know, they're like, I'm writing the apology that Bethany <laughs> never gave me for giving me a piece yeah, of that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I would you, I, I know uh, I, I, in, in reading up on you, I know that this happens to be a, a, a favorite of yours, but would you please tell the bike story oh, out of the book? Because <laughs> I died. Real. I died. This is real. This happened to a friend of mine in Los Angeles and it was her first date with a guy. She knew he took an Uber there because they had text pre, like, he was like, oh, yeah, I'm in a, an Uber. I'm five minutes out. So she knew this was not his bike. This becomes important later. So they're at dinner. They're just having very normal first date conversations. Um, he politely excuses himself. She assumes he's going to the bathroom. She watches him leave through the front glass window. He literally stole someone's bike from out front and pedaled away on it. And she never heard from him again. Like no explanation, nothing. This guy, I call this bye-bye biker. And he literally just took this bike and rode away from a first date with her. No explanation, never heard from him again probably my favorite. <laughs> I, I'm really thinking this through here. That takes such balls and is also a complete sociopath. Because, especially because it's a glass front window. I know. She's doing all of it. Like, I can't even. But really what I'm thinking here is if I'm her and this guy never wants to see me again, <laughs> this is the perfect way to leave. And here's why. If at the end they, you know, here's why. It's because at the end, normally it's like, oh, I'll text you and they don't. They ghost you. You'll forget about that guy forever. This gives her a hilarious story for the rest of her life. Yeah, for sure. I really think there's like a list here to be made of funny ways people left first dates. I I think the only way that this would have been better is if he'd stolen her bike. Like if she had ridden. (laughs) To the, that's that is maybe the only like oh, chef's kiss like she just perfection. watches this guy ghost her by stealing her own bike that would have been perfect that would have been perfect yes yes so the the thread of the uh, of the stories are are you know like that like right and and so walk through uh, just just as we we get to <laughs> Dorothy, i can go over that story you're still on the bike story uh, it's still it's too good i, I just love and they're all true, by the way. All, as far as I know, like I had some submissions and some people fill in the gaps, like a friend of a friend. But as far as I know, all of them are true, <laughs> directly experienced by people. God, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. 
Is this a skill you could teach your kids? To write their own apologies for the ones they never got? Yeah. Absolutely. Especially in that simple of a form, because the way they're phrased in the book, they're not through the whole three-step apology. It's just, I'm sorry, I left you on a first date by stealing someone's bike and riding away. That's not how it's phrased. It's more clever in the book, but that's the basic gist. And absolutely, like, we did it all the time in the realm of dating. Like, it was just funny, like that's an apology I'll never get. And then you just kind of jokingly write it yourself. And I think it really does kind of release the tension and the emotion. I think kids would love it. I think kids would have a great time doing it, especially because I give them little titles. I think kids would really love to come up with creative little titles for the apology they never got. It's so it's it really is so cathartic. And I think kids are just so imaginative. I think that could be really a, a wonderful creative exercise. And that could be with whether their friends did something to them. Maybe it's something that hurt them very deeply in the divorce process. Yeah, they could definitely add some emotion stuff to that. They could do the process in a very simplified form for sure with somebody like helping them through it. Yeah, they could definitely do it. What? So you said there's a sequel uh, in you. You're getting more stories. You've got more to talk about. Yeah, it's about halfway done. Um, yeah, it's the apologies I still never got is going to be the title, <laughs> the working title. I just feel like, you know how there's always like, like it gives a title of the book and then it has another line under it kind of explaining it. Yeah. I think it should be the apologies i still never got you fucking rat bastard (laughs) like that's what's going on in my head i'm not bitter at all i'm not bitter (laughs) at all hashtag i'm not bitter at all (laughs) yeah in parentheses yeah uh it's just uh, it's just great stuff i where would you uh where would you like to to point people to learn more about your work and find the book it sounds like you're not in L.A. anymore. No, no, I'm in Dallas. I'm in Dallas now. That's when the guy rode off with the horse. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That would be more of a yeah, right. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, so definitely they can find the book. Uh, the book is still with the agent, so we don't have like a complete date out yet. But there's um, a matching blog and an Instagram that has some of the apologies. And so that's apologiesineverGot.com. So that's really the website for the book. Okay, so that's where we'll send people. And it should be released soon. Yeah, it should be. Um, and then my website has more of the, uh, like my freelance writing, some of the more relationship and astrology stuff as well as more what my website, the apologies is um, more relationship centered, less astrology, but and more focused on the book. Well, it's great. All right. So I'm just going to ask, I'm not an astrology guy. Do you believe that stuff? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I help clients with it all the time. You'd be amazed. And now we're not talking like, you know, like 17 quiz astrology. We're talking like very deep, like just even on the piece of like communication styles, different things like that. So when you know someone's birthday and their sign, you can say, well, here's some general traits about them that are generally true. Mm-hmm. All right. July 24th. <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're gonna to drop it. We're doing it, Bethany. <laughs> we'll see. I'm a Leo. You're Leo. I'm on the cusp, right? So the fact that you're even doing this podcast is very Leo of you. They like to be seen. They like to be heard. They like to be on video. They like to be... Um, usually attorneys are more in the Virgo line. But again, if you're in court, that's like being the star of a show. So yeah, Leo's, um, they're very leadership oriented. They're very fiery. They're fire signs. They're very big guy in charge, (laughs) which my attorney is actually a Leo. So that could be, (laughs) and that's very much his personality. 
Pete, you're kind of keep nodding your head in agreement I'm here. I'm feeling pretty good about this so far. Let's uh, bring For it. all those times I was writing this show, this is all coming back this to haunt me good. in this one. Yeah, it it okay. all starts with, I'm not an astrology guy. I'm not an astrology guy. I just fall into my archetype completely and fully. Yeah, just lockstep, hand meet glove. Yeah. That's amazing. Anything else about me that you're going to divulge that people probably already know if they're listening to this show, but you're putting me in my place? Ne- never eat steak on Wednesdays. <laughs> I mean, I would need to see the full chart, right? There's layers, there's different signs, there's where your Venus is. That's what I really look at for relationships. Um, I mean, I built a successful business on it, so I must be doing something right with it, right? Well, I got to tell you, you are off to a very good start, very so I'm going to have to eat my words right there. You know, and <laughs> I apologize for doubting you. It's an apology I probably will never get, so it's fine. <laughs> I'll just write it myself later. The podcast guy didn't believe in astrology, and it hurt my feelings. <laughs> Could not script the end of this show any better. I'm telling you that right now. So anyway, I don't care what your sign is. Head over to the website or swipe up in your show notes and click on the links to, to uh, find Bethany everywhere. We've got links to all of the socials and the gram and the x and the websites and all of the stuff and uh, uh thank you bethany that's fantastic so appreciate you for being here today thank you for having me yeah. uh on behalf of bethany nicole the one who wrote this book that we're talking about <laughs> not the other one not the children's book author uh, not the children's book and seth nelson america's favorite divorce attorney i'm pete wright we'll catch you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. How to Split a Toaster is part of the True Story FM podcast network, produced by Andy Nelson, music by T. Bless and the Professionals, and DB Studios. Seth Nelson is an attorney with NLG Divorce and Family Law with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of NLG Divorce and Family Law. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida. 